This is the Geek of the Week podcast. I'm Michael with my friend Bo in San Diego while I'm in New York. We're geeks. We like talking about geek stuff. And that's what we're going to do here. Week by week, we're going to geek. From movies to music to comic books to video games. Whatever it is that gets your escape from the day, that is what we're going to talk about. I was almost going to rhyme there. I was almost going to say whatever it is we're going to say. But I avoided that. All right, so... Today's Geek of the Week episode, we're going to talk about the X-Men. We mentioned it last week only briefly, and we're going to talk about them as a TV series and how that would work and what it would be. We're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about the X-Men and their history and otherwise, so without further ado, let's geek out. I'm your freak of the I have been reading them forever, Bo. This is Michael, and uh, you're is, my friend. And this is Bo. <laughs> How you doing? Just just making sure everybody knows we are friends. friends we have close ties. <laughs> friends forever. Um, yeah, it just it just came up last week in a random topic. I don't even remember what we were talking about last week, but it came up in we were talking about like TV series, like, and I don't know why it never occurred to me. But I'm sure it did long ago, and it just went away like, oh, that's never going to happen because you, Jackman's awesome sauce. <laughs> we were actually talking about movies, and we turned in on the fringe mentioned uh, series. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And then towards the end there, we had brought up uh, what were some interesting subjects, like uh, DC doing a Vixen movie and uh, Marvel possibly doing an X-Men series. So here we are. Now... Uh, the X-Men comic book series, everybody knows. Uh, you'd have to be living under a rock for the last several decades to not know who the X-Men are. Uh, movies, cartoons, franchise, lunchboxes, car- everything in between. It's huge. And I, it, it's not even just that, because even the people who didn't know about the X-Men, as of the 90s, when every last one of you were injected with their cheesy 90s cartoon, I think that was 1992, 93. About that. Um, that just introduced everybody to a specific version of the X-Men, though. A specific version. <clears throat> it was a very specific version, but it was a very popular version of the X-Men. So popular, in fact, that Marvel is going back and relaunching X-Men 93. So it was 92-93 series? Yep. It's going to be the X-Men from that specific time frame, that cast, and all the hijinks and hilarity they can think of. Now, the reason why we primarily bring this up as a subject, folks, is because we feel... We like talking about stuff. We do like talking. It doesn't have to make sense, yeah. It really doesn't. Um, We occasionally get on a tangent. And when we're having these discussions... Uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast is because we have some very interesting ideas and discussions. So we were like, why not podcast this for people to sort of hear our ideas on it, uh, weigh in on themselves. And it, it's always geeky topics. And this one in particular is probably up there in the top 10 percentile of geek, which is the X-Men comic and series franchise. Now as a comic book series, uh, I feel like it's done a, it's, it's it's an amazing run. It's had amazing writers. Um, it's had such an amazing impact on the industry. And Mike, I think you'd agree. Um, it's far none one of the the biggest comic franchises for Marvel. Period. Easily, my description of the X Men, as I read it as a as a as a young young child to manhood, was basically. Um, the drama and struggles of existing and proving the worth of your identity. I mean, the X-Men like was a perfect example of how comics, when I was growing up, wasn't really for kids. I mean, they didn't go like explicitly far. I mean, like they did spend a great deal of time smashing, breaking, and cutting things, but <laughs> and blasting things. Lots of blasting. Oh my God, lots of blasting. And this is before the 90s. (laughs) And and lots of my boy Cyclops yelling, Gene. And yeah, I'm going to admit it right now. 
I like Cyclops over Wolverine. Wolverine can go suck it. Anyway, <laughs> like so. Oh dear. I know I'm gonna catch flack for that because I, I'm not a big Wolverine fan for several years. Only recently have I liked Wolverine more. I'll get into that later. But for me, my description of the X-Men has always been something that I don't think you can truly capture in a two or three hour movie, even if you make 17 of them. And and that's sort of the the, the meat of the discussion, which is um, that they're getting these big movies is great, but there's such this huge uh, legacy and history and tradition uh, and all these great stories that the X-Men have had over the several decades that it's hard to really condense it down into just a couple of hours of a movie, right? While the Avengers have been a serial and Captain America and Iron Man, they've all been serialized. Their adventures and the meat and tomato of what their singular storylines are about can be broken down into shortened versions and and brief movie plots that would actually work. The thing with the X-Men, it's been arc after arc after arc from um from the adventure where cyclops even found out he had a brother straight past croatoa and the dark phoenix saga all the way to like uh the messiah complex and divided we stand and it's all been no well let me correct myself it hasn't all been remarkable but it's all been plumbed stories and yeah every most of them have been pretty memorable and they've never come across as something you can do in short form um and many people say that the problem with the third movie's treatment of the dark phoenix saga was all brett ratner's fault and you know like i'm not the biggest fan of brett ratner but that's a heavy load to bear um, the 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 nuances of the Dark Phoenix saga handled in a two-hour movie is just unfair. You, I, I don't think you could do it in three hours. I mean, you can't. I don't think you can do it in six hours. The Dark Phoenix saga is a twenty-three-hour epic at least, and that is my agreement on this point. In the fact that, um. Uh, out of their run of arcs that could be done in movie form, uh, you have uh, God Loves, Man Kills, Love Story, uh, Days of the Future Past, um, and, uh, oh. and uh, um, oh, uh, what's it yeah, called? Yeah. There's a ton of early work. Um, from yeah, those things out. can be done as short. Days of Future Past can definitely be a movie. Because that story was only two issues. People make it out as it was a bigger thing. It was two issues. And it wasn't remarkable. It was just never done. That's what made it good. It was never done. Um, The hype machine on it being, oh my god, they're making Days of Future Past as a movie. Oh my god. Just so? It was a... I mean, to be fair... I mean, honestly, yes, uh, it's a very short, but my problem with that is it's the lead up to that particular uh, moment, this moment uh, for Days of Future you're Past. Right, you're right. You're right, because that's what takes it right back, is that even though Days of Future Past could be a short movie, uh, a short two, a short, uh, a singular movie, the lead up and meet that led to the formation of Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, the path in which everything was going, the, 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 what was leading up to her eventually wanting to assassinate Senator Kelly was the crux of that. It was the unexpected resolution to a plot the X-Men didn't know existed for the most part. Now, that's you have to also count on the fact that you start having these weird divergent timeline issues and you kind of get that in the movie, uh, but only cursory. And this is why I think even in and of itself, it's everything leading up to that, uh, Bishop cable, uh, the two, three different, uh, tandem of realities going coinciding side by side. It goes further back than that because, um, it starts with Rachel, then Cable, then Bishop, and it just goes on and on and on and on. That 
because um, the Divergent Timelines was just a thing that was part of the X-Men. And but but see, but you're getting into the convolution of all these said plots made new word convolution. Oh, you're getting into all the convolution of these side plots and the time travel and the alternate timelines and stuff like that. But that's not even what makes it too complicated. Forget the the convoluted stories that are looping around on like just finding the family tree of the X-Men is just ridiculous. But these arcs segue right into each other seamlessly. And they marry into each other. They only start to become separate independent storylines following the 90s, where you could just jump right in on that book and call it a day. Because you're, you're pretty much bringing up primarily the 80s run of X-Men, which leads right into the like hyper-popular 90s. And that's, you know, Death of the uh, Future Past, Deathbird, The Brood, uh, like you said, God Loves, Man Kills, uh, The Mutant Massacre, The Mew Mutants. The Brood was in the 80s. Yes, but so was uh, Days of Future Past and the Dark Phoenix Saga. Like these are yes. all the eighties. Um, yeah, well, okay. Well, m- remember my comic book knowledge is a little bit even before my time because I had comics that existed before I was born. I inherited collections from other members of my family. We loved comics. Period. My mother was waiting for Spider Man before I could speak. <laughs> all right. And I learned how to read off of Spider Man books. Um, so comics were never an embarrassing and shameful thing for me. They were like these cool things that nobody else was into. And I was like, it's all mine. But, but you bring up a, a couple of interesting points. So there's all this great material from the seventies on, right? Yes. If you, if, if let's step away from the movies for a minute and let's say we, we stick to the idea that we want to do this awesome series because we don't think a couple of hours is enough to do any of this justice first question is where do for me you start it, no not even that no the first question that you go before you even decide where to start is are you faithful to the books yes or no and if you are how faithful if you're not how much do you diverge like i think it was a good idea for walking dead to diverge from the books because Part of the theme of the Walking Dead series is never knowing what to expect. And that was very useful with the Walking Dead as a TV series. You don't know what to expect, like Shane living too long. <laughs> you know, spoiler alert. Who's Daryl? <laughs> yeah, like, who's Daryl? He's so cool, but I can't find him in a single page. If you have any idea how many times people ask me, so which book do I need to get Daryl in? Um, so... Here's the bad news. <laughs> yeah, that crossbow guy is not in the book. He's not in the books at all. So, yes, you, you, you bring up another valid point. If we're going to use a lot of the canon and no material, how much of it do you use? How much do you leave it out of it? Uh, what is the appropriate you know, portions, parts to? Um, and, of course, you want to be creative and do some put your own sort of spin step on it which brings us to another question who do we get to write direct show because that's that's that can make or break a series well i'm not even going to pretend that i know enough about hollywood to pick the best guy i mean like i mean I've do you stopped. get Bendis who did who does some of the writing uh and has done some show stuff do you get Joss j Whedon? michael straczynski and joss whedon are experienced in tv Must show joss show whedon running do Everything himself. <laughs> he already did a run on the X Men. He already did. He did. Uh, what was it? Four ish. Four. 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 Uh, volumes. Yes. Four volumes. Um, and they were good. I liked them. They felt like my classic X Men. Okay. At a time. So let's say we we're able to pay out the big Buku exactly. bucks. And bo- like we have, we have unlimited funds and unlimited resources. Budget. We're gonna we're gonna be that podcast with the let's hypothetical. Okay, okay, um, but I, I'm still saying that I don't know enough about Hollywood to say like this guy is good for the job. Okay, fair, but I mean, but if you are gonna look, I would say look for somebody who can who is not afraid of the source material. You know, who's not embarrassed by the costumes, the colors, you know, and the subject. Would matters. you like to know who my pick is? Who's your pick? Sam Raimi. 
Wow. He does know TV very well. He also loves comics. Yes, he does. He's picked no bones about it. He loves the material. Well, no, you know what? Um, Sam Raimi loves stories. And that's why he loves comics. Because, like, a lot of people, if you go to the comic book store and you never read a comic before, and you go to the mainstream comics and you pick them up today, I'm letting you know, and this is in my opinion, and it's not from an old fogey's perspective, because I'm not old, really, is that you're not reading a comic the way comics were written when comics attracted us. Because the comics are stretching and grabbing to pull audiences right now. Meanwhile, X-Men in its 80s wheelhouse, that decade, it was like, yeah, read us, don't read us. We got enough people. They'll like us. And we're going to keep rolling forward with the story we got. And it's good. And the stories were solid. I mean, like... that That's because you're bored Claremont. Well, yeah. Um, and, like, I love Chris Claremont's writing in X-Men. And I'm not saying that Chris Claremont is the best writer. Not... He's not perfect in any way, but the thing is, is you cannot cast aside the fact that that man was like writing them from the mid seventies to the early nineties. You want he had continuity down. He he would drop images. He would have his artists drop images of a guy in the background, maniacally laughing. That doesn't come into the picture till three years later but the plug was there he didn't even have the guy designed or what the guy's plot was but the plug was there so it gave it continuity like nobody's business you would be like everybody was always looking for like oh wow did this really happen that far back and then go and check and yeah it did it did because well, he was still writing them he was and so I'm going to sort of tether two sort of uh tangent uh, synergistic ideas here why we why claremont gets a lot of praise in general um for his work well the mainly because mainly because having to hold that kind of continuity is no easy thing just because you're there <laughs> it's just lot. because you're there the whole time doesn't mean that that's a lot of note keeping and remembering and being faithful to the characters that you're developing over the course of a 30-year span that is not simple no it's not and i mean even if you even with continuity, the reality is, okay, let me take a step back here. For people who may not know the deal with the X-Men, because I'm sure there's a couple people out there uh, who don't know all the things about the X-Men. Wolverine wasn't always there. Wolverine wasn't always there, but the X-Men are mutants. They're a subspecies of humans who are born with superhuman abilities, right? Uh, the X-Men, they fight for peace, equality between normal humans and mutants in a world where this anti-mutant bigotry is widespread. All right. And basically, they've devoted their life and time and their studies towards per perfecting their abilities so they can protect mankind from the very people who fear them. And that is a really strong story. That's You, you can't swing a stick at that and not be impressed. It's, an, it's a beautiful humanistic story about supposedly inhuman people in the fact that they're sacrificing their own selves, their own freedoms, their, their own lifestyles to try to make and strive for a better world, a world that can accept them. But at the same time, they're not trying to force this acceptance. They're going to prove that they belong. And that even means going against others of their own because not every mutant took that stand. And, and, and that was a main theme also because it's not just human bigotry. It's mutant it's, bigotry. It's human bigotry. And it's not a black and white thing because out of it emerges two major powerhouse figures. And I'm, not to and, and I'm leaving out the 90s of the 90s and uh, 2000s evolution of certain of these characters and sticking with the, the, the crux of the characters, which a lot of people already know from the movies. Magneto and Professor Charles Xavier, Eric Lenscher and Professor Charles Xavier have been the standpoint examples 
of two different means of trying to gain civil acceptance. And one can I use the term I use the term civil acceptance because when they originally made it, it was to reflect the civil rights movement. But as time went on and they moved to San Francisco, it's also a reflection of uh, the LGBT of, community. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And look, you when when one would say that this very much was ahead of its time, it was, um, and still is. Uh, it's relevant. Even it's today, good literature. It's hugely it's, relevant. It's very good literature. Period. And this idea that you have Professor X, um, who's trying to find this sort of peaceful solution uh, through mod- mediation and uh, ambassadorship. The open hand. The open the hand. Open hand. Uh, the acceptance and understanding uh, versus Magneto, who's had a lot of really hard lessons learned in his own background and his own life. Uh, and his staunch belief is that when, um, they've tried to destroy me and I am better than them. They will learn to respect me or they will step aside and be stepped over in the path of evolution as he steps forward with the closed fist because, motif yeah, yeah. of Mag- handling this. Magneto comes out of World War II and yes. his experiences with that. So he's a he's a gypsy born man out of World War II's Germany German um, uh, uh, internment camps, and he sees it as you either stand up for yourself and you fight the fight, or or you get burned alive. Yeah, and because fear, fear is is the greatest issue that they're both dealing with, and they're having two. Very fear is the mind killer. It really is. Um, oh, James McAvoy plug. Um, so you have these two iconic characters, and the impressive thing about the X-Men folks is, uh, despite being sort of like not the Avengers, not Batman or Superman or all these other things, the groundswell of, of realism and humanity in these stories is reverberates so strongly with people that it just it got huge and it gained, gained a huge traction of following and fan base. And because it's that good. Now, um, you fast forward like a whole decade, um, and the 90s is even more full of uh, awesome stuff like, you know, the Mer Island Saga, the Extinction Agenda, Fatal Attraction, the Executioner's Song. Like, all these things are still dealing with a lot of issues. And they start going best. into retread somewhat of old tales, but the strength of it is still there. I mean, just from the days of, from the Dark Phoenix Saga to Days of Future Past, God Loves, Man Kills, Mutant Massacre, Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, Days of the Future Present, you know, those alone could last you five to ten seasons. So, Mike and I very much agree that there's so much mid-source material, so much good storytelling, that it really... It deserves and should be a really good uh, ongoing TV series uh, with a lot of uh, leg for for storytelling uh, versus a condensed two or three hour movie out of pop. And yes, now you asked you you asked a moment ago. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, good. You asked the moment. You asked at the beginning of this. Where should they begin? And um, I think, like my intro for this for the series would be the usual like the the talking about what a mutant is and what it is and then go into the intro where Xavier is in his chair being wheeled by Cyclops down a hall picture after picture showing the first five the first class and they have at least six pictures of those guys as he's explaining their lifestyles and what they're doing and then he immediately goes into explaining, and that was the first class, and what has happened to them, and where they're gone, and how they need to be rescued by the all-new, all-different X-Men. Be- because in all honesty, um, before that, the first volume one of the X-Men was going for the stuff we were talking about that was good, but they missed a lot of good points they were still finding their footing. I mean, they had some good story arcs with the Pharaoh saga that had to do with Cyclops meeting his brother. That's when you got to the characterization of those guys. 
but they really didn't drive home certain characters. Like you, you anything that they got character wise out of those people, you could have got that on anything that happened after Giant Size X Men number one on, and also. After that, they got into the, all the members at that point were somewhat more experienced with their powers. They were adults. They weren't teenagers. Um, the X-Men were a thing. And this is what we're doing. And they're from different cultures and backgrounds from around the world. And it immediately went into an expansive, really dramatic pit of how many different personalities have to clash with each other. And that, I believe, was a good start point for it. Well, I mean, clearly we both agree. And you get your Wolverine. We clearly both agree that a series like this would have a huge potential for at least 10 seasons plus of material. It's easy. Um, it's not hard. And, uh, like, you also agree, like, if you are going to do it, you would do, like, an Origins kind of, you know, like Smallville, how you start from the humble beginnings with the first class and then dealing with the, uh, the initial issues. and then. A but I think they could skip the first class. The first class could be a footnote in the intro and the opening of the first adventure because they're going to save the first class. Well, because not many people like like when I talk about stuff that happened before Giant Size X-Men number one, not many people know any of that stuff because it didn't matter. It really didn't. It didn't matter. And um, like but they know the guys from the first class very well and still are endeared to them. Meanwhile, they didn't read anything having to do with these people. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like those adventures, yeah, you got Havoc and Polaris out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, that's all they got out of that. Uh, to be fair, the X-Men franchise, the X-Men cast of characters gets huge. It yes. keeps growing and growing. Their family We're doesn't stop growing. lost size cast right here. Yes. Eventually. Um, but not having to need them every episode. And, and, and I think that's that's a good thing. That's a strength for a t an ongoing TV series is to be able to tell, focus on the story elements, the arcs, and be able to swap in whatever characters you need to tell that story while working on their character development with each other. And avoiding falling into the rush where it's so important to get to that hot story. Because I could see the show racing towards the Dark Phoenix saga. Just like racing towards it. Sending hint after hint after hint all day. The, the be like episode four, they go into space and have the shuttle crash and she emerges as the Phoenix. Well <laughs> you know. It's like what this is only season two? Wow, we got here quick. Um and this sort now of now mind you the Phoenix saga, not the Dark Phoenix saga. Okay. The Phoenix saga did happen quick. It did. Um Jean Grey's character development was was very subtle at first, and then once the Phoenix Saga took off, it she she took off with it. Um, but this brings me to another subject: uh, the list of bad guys. It's bottomless for the X Men. You can almost do one major bad guy a season, uh, whether it's Dark Phoenix, Magneto, Apocalypse, Mojo, the, the Hellfire of, Club. Hellfire Club. They're my favorite. They're just, the Hellfire Club were remarkable. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Um, because, okay, you just mentioned it right there. Why the Hellfire Club were so good. Because the original version of the anti-X-Men were the bro Brotherhood of Mutants. They didn't have evil in their title. Oh. <laughs> All right. Were the Brotherhood of Mutants. All right. And so we saw the anti-X-Men. And they were kind of like, in many ways, they were very much clown shoes. I don't... I know people like the Blob and and they like Toad, but they were just a pair of freaking clown shoes. They really were. I'm fat, so you can't move me. I'm squat and toady, so I can leap far and kick hard. You know what I'm saying? And Mastermind, I am a master of minds. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, uh Okay, well, me, well before, but when before. you in, but when you introduced the Hellfire Club, that was the real, uh, uh, uh. Uh, uh, anti X-Men team because they were the X-Men. They had the funding, they had the unity, and they had a similar goal. Emma Frost wanted to make the world accept them. She was trying to form her own new mutants in the whole nine yards and they stuck with those guys for a long time and they could not get rid of them. They were like a case of an enemy that could not be undone. And in the end, the X-Men never, they never defeated 
and undid the Hellfire Club. They beat them, but they never undid the Hellfire Club. The Hellfire Club were undone by other forces. Well, mostly, but I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, to your previous statement about uh, the Brotherhood of Mutants, I feel like... Several times disbanded, dude. I, I'm, I'm going to say, as much as, as you kind of turning your nose up at the Brotherhood of Mutants, they were very much more primarily about Magneto... Right now I'm turning my nose all the, the way up into the thing. air. Doing the same thing. What's that? Right now I'm turning my nose up all the way into the air. Yeah, I'm you not, keep I'm turning your nose up. <laughs> the Brotherhood of Mutants was Magneto's response to Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. His X-Men. Magneto felt like he couldn't deal with all of the X-Men at once by himself, so he needed some allies. And it shows. Um, the most lethal people on that team, in all honesty, is Mystique and Mastermind. Um, the X-Men are hitters. They're, they're, none of them are, are, are clown shoe uh, heroes. So, well, I, in all honesty, the first class weren't hitters. They weren't. Cyclops was a hitter, and that was pretty much it. Beast was his backup hitter. Iceman had potential, but he was practically just Frosty the Snowman. And Angel just flew, picked people up, and he flew. And he was very maneuverable, but he just flew. That's all he did. And Jean, like, moved stuff. Jean moved <laughs> things with her mind. Yes, she just. Um, so hitters? No, I think that's an exaggeration. They weren't hitters. The only old different team. They were hitters. They were just, just hitting everything. You, you had, um, you had. Sorry. You had Cyclops still with his optic blasts. You had Colossus with his Colossus punch. You had Wolverine with his Wolverine claws. You had Storm with her storms. <laughs> and you had Nightcrawler with his stinky, sulfurific, Bamfy poofies all over the place totally I, i'm segueing too far just <laughs> but i get what you're saying is that it showed that magneto tried to put together a team and it didn't come together and but it, i want to i want to put us on track though because because i think we're segueing well i'm not uh, segueing too hard but the thing is uh, the 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 brotherhood of mutants is sort of the x-men's first foray into dealing with a villainous group and when they get to the hellfire club their roster has expanded to much more powerful mutants of their own. And like you said, they have Colossus, they have Storm, um, they have like this big powerful team and they come into the Hellfire Club, which is no And joke. they get their ass handed <laughs> to them. <laughs> handed to them. Handling. I remember those issues in particular because um like Sebastian Shaw alone almost beat the entire team. All right. Emma was just keeping them in cages. And remember, that brings into what you were going to ask about Jubilee, but I go back further because uh, we talked about this beforehand, what we were going to bring up. But you wanted, you wanted to know about Jubilee, but I think the first perspective character that comes into this. Pixie. No, 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 would be um, um, Shadowcat. That's, that's who Shadowcat Sprite. was. Sprite, no, sorry, her name not, was Sprite. Not, Sprite. Not Pixie, Sprite, yeah. Sprite, the first Jubilee. Yeah. One second. Carry on. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Shadowcat is amazing. Um, she's shown some tremendous growth. And so you think and, you would rather start with her and make its way through that? No, I... I I agree. I think she's she's a really great character. Yeah, wow. I, you know, like, um, yeah, that's another start point. You could start with them recruiting Kitty Pride because Kitty is huge for the X Men, and the reason why Kitty is huge is because she changed their comic. She completely changes their dynamic. She changes um, the relatability. She changes hell. She changes Wolverine. Um, yeah, because you got to remember, up until this point, this this team was somewhat isolated and a going a little militant after a while. And they were going militant really quick because they were just fighting villain after villain. They even fought government villains. I will never forget Warhawk. <laughs> they, were fought, <laughs> they were fighting government villains, Google, Warhawk, um, X-Men, and, 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 and ridiculous levels of enemies. And then all of a sudden... 
they remember that they're a school and they need to pick up a student and they get Kitty Pride. Because Dazzler said no. Dazzler's <laughs> like, uh, you know what? I'm getting paid pretty good to be doing what I'm doing. So, uh, so long, see ya. Um, yeah. And they get Kitty. And that immediately takes the militant out of them because she has a person's perspective on this. Why are you guys so militant? What the heck is going on? The very, fr- the very first villain she ever met. And I think it was said in Joss Whedon's comic that Emma Frost defined Kitty, was Kitty's definition of what a supervillain was. Because that was the first supervillain that Kitty ever faced. And because it was during their initial run fighting the Hellfire Club, if I remember correctly. Yes. I'm going off of memory. Um, So Kitty was actually there. Like, uh, help me with this. So... Okay, because I remember Kitty dragging Wolverine out of the cage. And that's when you learned that he's 195 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's five foot three and 195 pounds. He's a little, Cause, yeah. Because adamantium is, heavy. is not light. It's not light. It's not light. And that was the same issue where he gets put through the floor by Leland, or was that another run? No, they had another run in with them later. There was a second run in. Okay, and that was when. When she comes into into the mix, um, oh, I'm sorry. Honorable mention: Doctor Doom dealt with the X Men, and nothing good came of it. Um, sorry, I had to throw that one in there. I think it's very important. Um, this is where we find out that Storm has claustrophobia, like nobody's business, and locking her in something and making her go bananas is pretty much just the quickest way to watch an entire country get blown away in a storm that can't be stopped. Um, I would also love to see how they do the relationship between Colossus and Kitty and how without the Secret Wars in 1984, how would they um, have Colossus cheat on her? I would like to see how they do that and approach that story differently. Because remember how they broke up because he fell in love, quote unquote, with somebody during the, on the battle world. Mm-hmm. So when they came back in Japan, he was like, Katja, you know what, you know what, Katja, I have, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Sprite Shadowcat, uh, Kitty Pride, uh, is sort of like the spiritual successor to Marvel Girl because she brings the entire team back to their roots. Um, that I never they thought are, of it that way. Yeah, she is. She, without her, like you said, they, they continue down this militant path. And it's just fighting the fight. And Kitty reminds them and Jean that there's kids. And they're new to their powers. They've been doing their powers for a while, but there are kids who haven't used their powers and don't know what's going on and are afraid of who they are and doesn't know how to identify herself or who she is or how she should fit in. And And I'd love for them to depict Wolverine the way he was when he initially got in there. And he was a madman. Yeah, with claws. He was just like stabbing people. Feral as fuck. He was feral. He stunk. He (laughs) (laughs) he he gave zero zero f's to give on any of this. And Kitty even broke through that. And he was like, "Okay, fine, Bob. I'll show you stuff." And. You're too cute to be mad at. And the legacy of Wolverine plus a young mutant is born. That's where it began. Yes, you're this right. This is where it begins. Because after she broke him so good, he keeps doing it. All the time. For the next 20 years, Wolverine... He became Lone Wolverine and Cub. Yeah, well, Lone Wolverine and Cub. He's like, he looks around, looks at the most sort of wide-eyed, doe-eyed uh, kid on the team and goes... You, you're with me. I'm going to teach you how to be tough and survive and just hold on, hold on tight because we're going to do a thing together, kid. And you're going to soften me. So, Shadowcat completely changes the face of the X-Men. Everybody takes her under their wing. She forms a relationship with several of them. Real, like, really well-written, tangible relationships because they, there's... Nothing but love and like for her. She sees the world in a way that none of them have. 
And you know what? You're re- actually very right because it was Shadowcat that actually brought together a lot more personable stories. Um, and it was and, and it was amazing. It was amazing because she brought out the characters in a lot of these people. So it's 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 good to have that point of view. So she's a good jump off point for it because bef- without her, you kind of just meandering from adventure to adventure. But she's also hugely super relatable too. Like remember our previous discussion about. Uh, but see, that's characters. where they got to make sure. That's where they got to make sure that there's a quality of performance. Out of yes. whoever they have as her, because there's a fine line between uh, character-driven and whiny kid. All right. Yes, but I'm telling you, I vote people like looking for actresses. Like uh, I think her name is Katie Lotz. I forgot her name. The one who played the second version of Laurel's sister on the Arrow. Yes. Um, the one who actually dressed up as Canary. She was, I, her little puppy dog looking faces were just like, I could not be annoyed by her. I just couldn't. She was just awful. Aw. Aw. <laughs> I so feel her murders. <laughs> She's so full of murders. Um, and I feel for them. D- was, if this were years ago, you know who I would have said would have made a phenomenal actress to do her? But that Ellen was Page. Who? Ellen Page. Ellen Page, yeah. You she, mean you mean Shadowcat? She, yeah, she yeah, plays yeah. Kitty. Yeah, she plays Kitty in the movies. But I'm saying like if this if she were a little younger back when she first started out and this series was a go, she I think she's got the strength to act and embrace the character and pull out a lot of the really good qualities that they would be looking for. Yeah, they also brought religion into the X-Men through her because yes. it was through her that you found out that Kurt was Christian. Um, Wolverine was a staunch atheist. No, no, no. <laughs> I think Kurt was Catholic. Catholic, yeah, sorry, yeah. Catholic. And she's Jewish. And she's Jewish. And, like, yeah, she, she brings uh, faith and belief into the story. All right, so we're... we're Kitty is awesome sauce. That's something that would have to happen. Um, My other question, my next question would be is, um, because we're not going to go into who they would cast, who they would showrun this, because in the end, we don't know enough people out there to to guess that. I would suggest, yeah, if anyone has any opinions, give your lineup for the perfect cast of the all-new, all-different X-Men. Just put it in the comments. Let us know who you think would be best for that. Because I guess, uh, like, okay, yes, the 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 dream cast is a thing. Um, like Hugh Jackman, obviously, it's hard to go wrong. He does a phenomenal Wolverine. Phenomenal yeah, but you actor. know what? Um, even uh, like, but Hugh Jackman is the movie Wolverine, and that won't be that won't be a thing that happens. You so, know, Tom Hardy, I guess. Tom or, Hardy, but he's also a movie actor, so you'd have to get someone with the gumption. And grit. I, there was an actor in um, Angel. Mm-hmm. I think he's in Leverage now. I'm not sure. He uh, he was the guy in a flannel shirt. He had long poofy hair. I think he worked at Wolfram and Hart. Yeah. For a little okay. Bit. You know who I'm talking about? Yep. Is he on Leverage? I think he is on Leverage. Not sure. Anyway, um. He was good, but that was then. This is now. He would have been. There's a so saying that he exists, and also he's short. And saying that he exists, that means there's other actors that could do it. We'll have endless amounts of people to play Wolverine and Cyclops and Storm and other things like that. And and it, and it, so it could happen because Hollywood happen. Hollywood can churn out a number of new guys all day, and you could they could find their roots here in great characterization so you, you that has to be the important thing it has to be story it has to be the characters it has to be their story their humanity their struggles to make it really good all in between the blasting slashing smashing right because blast smash and yes but doing it that way also saves them budgetarily because um another word i made up it saves them budget wise <laughs> the mic i'm gonna call these mic isms <laughs> 
that they <laughs> might <laughs> budgetarily they can phenomenally realize you know well phenomenal whatever. Um, they can they can uh, they can hold back budgetary restraints by spending episode after episode on dramatic prose in between these characters without it sinking into the stupid um dramatic oh you hurt my feelings i run away you well, know that but, but that, that just, a lot of the other shows fall into because there was actual real drama going on yes but that does bring up the other question so the reason why movies work in general is because they know they can make a ton of money and they can have a big budget um with a bunch of mutants and their powers all the time it would make it a little more difficult to budget an ongoing series so do we leave out the phoenix saga because of that or days of future past because uh budget concerns or dated material from what i get from you from our pre earlier in the conversation is phoenix saga is a must uh days of future past maybe um is that how you feel about that yes um it is well, first of all days of future past is not a big special effects drain it's just a set design it, drain but it is it's, also a dated sort of story it is a dated story it is a dated story but i'm not saying that i can't see a modern spin on it that's done different from the way the movie did it i'm i am saying though what we can see because because the thing in the days of future past is it didn't it was the future going into the past which was the current at the time mm -hmm. and that's why kitty was the vehicle for that the days of future past <clears throat> is not a big uh effects budgetary problem what is is the dark phoenix saga and i think i think they can overcome that easily because there are shortcuts and ways to make things look beautiful and still not expensive fair or not too expensive and that's the magic and this is a series that doesn't exist so who knows what 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 te television making special effects could be like by then it's, i mean they've worked it's, it's, very it's hard they made it yeah. work really well with the flash dude just just drawing little lightning lines around a guy just flailing his arms around has worked wonders like scribble a blur there <laughs> you know and the effects they do currently on flash they could have done on the original flash tv show and it's just they found really intelligent shortcuts on how to do these things and that's what's worked quick question yeah team leader storm or cyclops or both both okay you have to because the big drama all right like there's a lot of cyclops haters out there there are you've seen my you've seen my my thing that says cyclops is right right i mean we're, there's we're a lot of cyclops camp. haters out there i am not one of them um, I'm not a Wolverine hater either. I just wasn't that big a fan of him, but I am the guy who collected his comic. All right. We, we part ways on Wolverine, just flat out. Like, I liked the older Wolverine stories. I like when he went to Japan. I like him dealing with the hand. I like, like, he, without the, the really obvious sort of tropey, I'm the best I like Wolverine today. Do. See, that's where we part ways. I like Wolverine today. You like Wolverine yesterday. I like Wolverine yesterday because of what he became today. Mm -hmm. Because I see it as a fully forward-developing character arc. The thing about the X-Men comic that makes it amazing, I'm going to segue off of my Cyclops thing and loop back to it real quick, Bo, mm -hmm. that makes them an amazing comic, is that everything, just about everything that happens in their comics counts. See, with Spider-Man, things change and things happen. With Captain America, things change and things happen. Iron Man, things change and things happen that are drastic, but then they all snap back to status quo. X-Men has been moving forward for 30 years, and there is no status quo for them. There, there is no status quo. Oh, we were in New York. Now we're in San Francisco. You were on the team. Now you're not on the team. You're alive. You're dead. You're alive again. You know, there's, you, you guys haven't been on the team in ages. I don't even know who you are anymore. Who are you? Where's Havoc? Havoc's in space. Havoc's not in space. And, and they never forget these things. And these things affect them. And they take it with them. And the same is said for Wolverine. Because I learned to like him when I saw that they made him get his memories and they kept it and they moved forward with it and, and a different Wolverine emerged from those memories because Wolverine found out he was a dick 
and he did not like himself, <laughs> right? And he didn't want to remember any of these things from his past, so he occupied all of his time. That's why you start seeing him on every team. Also, he's a marketable character, so put him on every team that you possibly the, can. The king of crossovers. Yeah, but he was a crossover king long before this. Yes. And uh, going so much as to having an arm waving out of a random Captain America comic to show that he's guest starring in it because that book sucked because Captain America was a werewolf in it. <laughs> you know? But, um, but he evolved. Wolverine today would, would hate Wolverine just 30 years ago. Wolverine today is an evolved character and he wouldn't be who he is. And this is what makes me like Cyclops even more. Without Cyclops, there is no Wolverine. See, I don't know that I would say Let me that. finish. I Let me finish. Without the dichotomy that they had on that team originally, you wouldn't see the flaws in Wolverine so drastically. I think he'd just because be a different Wolverine. Storm agreed with Wolverine's actions more than Cyclops ever did. And Cyclops evolved off of Wolverine. They both changed and affected each other. Yes, yes. There definitely was mutual growth on both of their parts. And that what made them, that's what made them important. Because in the end, currently, Cyclops became overly militant by decisions he had to make as a desperate leader trying to save an entire species. While Wolverine became the guy who said, we need to remember the children and that we're fighting these battles so they don't have to. Yes. That, that fight where Wolverine and Cyclops fought, and that wasn't not too long ago, was something in my chest that had built up for ages. For ages. Because it never happened. They never fought up until then. They've well, had they've starts. Had, they've had their tussles and stuff. They've but. had starts of fights that end with a single blast or Wolverine looking like he's going to attack or Cyclops shooting him once. But this was Those, a throwdown. And this the, was a... They, they they were in it. But the, be, was, the I think for me, the better part wasn't just the fact that they were in it and throwing like they meant it. What was at stake? Ideals well, yeah, yeah. again. The split. The, 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 are we this now or are we that? Like, where is our ideology? And the split, it tears the X-Men and Mutants down the middle because of it. And that the blind impressive. actions of Wolverine not realizing that more and more Cyclops and him were getting along. And that's a bad sign. Yes. Because Wolverine always depended on people in his team to check and balance him. You know, he relied on Charles for that. He relied on Cyclops for that. He didn't realize he needed it in the beginning, but he relied on that. And that traveled on forward Till down the road, he just said yes to whatever Cyclops was saying well, because had, at, at, at that point, though, he trusted him because he yes. had grown comfortable with him shot calling, and he agreed with most of them. So, yes, yes, because Cyclops was always his check and balance. But and then he stopped and said, "Wait a minute, this is not right." And those were the moments where I started liking Wolverine when Wolverine finally evolved past. It was it was role reversal. Thug in a bottle. Yeah, you it was know, it was amazing. It was, it role was very much role reversal because, in my opinion, some of the best writing on, they've had after the nineties. Yeah, yeah. When Wolverine initially comes on, he's all about we fight, we fight. We're soldiers. Um, this is war, and Cyclops is we're a school. This is about the future. And when they have this fight, they're actually sitting in each other's shoes when they do it. Um, yes. Now Cyclops is all about we need to train these kids to be soldiers. This is a war, and Wolverine is like this is a school. And we've got to think of a future. And, mm -hmm. and that all comes back, call back, back to you, because that's all Kitty's doing. It's all Kitty. Um, and the, I think in many ways, uh, the reason why it's also a phenomenal idea for a series is because it's a huge spin-off machine. They're so big. You could go full 10 seasons, 15 seasons, and then you can spin halfway through it to X-Factor, X-Force, Generation Excalibur. Excalibur. Tons of, tons of spin-off uh, And they all groups. have different themes and tones because X-Factor changes tones three times during the major, their major runs, and they start as something else. X-Force is darker. Excalibur is wacky in the beginning and then gets dark. 
and, and Gen and, X that, is, is dystopian. And, New and Mutants cool. was awesome. New a lot of people amazing. didn't read the original New Mutants, but they were they were beautifully written comic. Because goes, they're, they're they're a new younger uh, group of mutants with a very different dynamic from the X Men. Very different, and what emerged out of them were phenomenal stories as well. So, and uh, yeah, there's there's just this monstrous potential for uh, additional series if they ever wanted to go there and do that. And it's so it's just in there. It's like built right in. And as a segue into the rest of the Marvel universe and Space Marvel, you you can't beat a stick with the without the mutants. Like you got uh, Cyclops and his dad, Corsair for space. You have. Uh, the Madeline Yeah, the Fryer. X-Men got all over the place. I mean, Beast was an Avenger for... Beast was an Avenger. Uh, Jean Grey dies, and then uh, the Madeline Pro- uh, Pryor clone with the magic, uh, with the Inferno series, and demons, and extra-dimensional stuff, and, like, it goes... The Inferno series was created out of the X-Men, and that led into the creation of, of major Spider-Man villains... <laughs> you like, know, and then of course you had the huge, like the big heavy sagas and stories, like the Extinction Agenda. You the Extinction Agenda was Massacre. beautiful. You have Kitty Pride with Caliban. Um, like, uh, there's so many things all over the place, like really great stories. And by the time they get to the Australia one, they'll get to save so much on their budget because they're just in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you know. <laughs> They're goofing off for a while because that'll that that'll be their like eleventh season drag on, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. But I think honestly, uh, as a comic book series, to segue into an ongoing live action series, it has more legs, more potential than even Agents of Shield, Constantine, or any of the current ongoing series. Yeah, you seriously, know, it really all does. All the deference to Flash and Arrow and and Daredevil and all these, I love. I them. say They're it's good. right side by side with Spider Man. I think Spider Man should have been a television series. Spider Man could very much have been a series because of the same reasons. Yes, but here's the next question, and it's two. It's a two four, because if this was a TV series, where would you put it? Cable, network TV, or Netflix? Or some other streaming method. Because that comes into tone and release and binge watching methods or or um, advertisement or purposes. You know, I wouldn't put it on major TV. No network um, TV. No network TV. Because some of the things they deal with are very racy? violent and racy or, you know, very visceral stuff. So um, then in that point I wouldn't put it on I wouldn't put it on a cable because they're for the most part restricted to certain amounts of episodes a season. I'd put it on Netflix. Netflix or some other streaming method and yeah. go for the, and go for broken a full 24 episode run. I think it would work amazingly. Um uncannily. Uh <laughs> uncanny. It would be absolutely uncanny. Um just it would be phenomenal and I would I would easily jump on Netflix and watch it just like I do Daredevil or anything right, so else. We're, 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 we're getting short on time here. Any other things you wanted to bring up? Um, no, I pretty much covered most of my uh, my sort of tangent uh, discussion points. Uh, so I, I think I'm going to um, – What you got something else? No, is it time to see you later? No, well, no. What I was going to say was like – if if not, if anyone has any opinions that they'd like to bring up on what they would think would be uh, a good run or other examples of X-Men being done as a series or even examples of shows that bring that kind of characterization and that kind of depth of, uh, yeah, of yeah, exactly. story into, I'd like to see the suggestions. I would love to see them because it might be brought up in a later topic we'd give credit to you for. Like, guys, do you think that Doom Patrol would make a better series, for example? Yeah, and Doom Patrol was very much the X-Men analog because it came out around the same time. They were just a month apart, I think. Mm-hmm. Is there another group of, or that or comic characters that you think would do really well in a series? Yeah, and whose 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 lifestyle as a hero isn't broken down into single arcs that could be hammered out into uh, single movies? Because Daredevil was a perfect example of a guy that needed a series because Daredevil has a a, a plethora of storyline and plot and characterization that needs to be plumbed through and just completely. 
just just dragged as much as you can, squeeze as much as you can out of it because DW stories were that have have runs that are really good, uh, are really remarkable, really worth reading and rereading, and then handing to the next person, have them read it, and then just start a chain of just reading Daredevil after Daredevil. With that said, I mean, once again, we're coming to an end right here. I'd like to give credit once again to uh, Thunderstruck Productions, uh, Free Kitchen, your boy uh, Adrian, um, all the cool Chris Claremont. Chris uh, Claremont for great Stan writing. Lee, Kirby, everybody, uh, good job, well done. Uh, like, thank you so much for making my teen years really fun and enjoyable. And that's Geek of the Week's third podcast. We'll see ya. I will see you later. Bye bye.